You are listening to the Root Simple Podcast. On this episode of the Root Simple Podcast, I talk to Kendra Gaeta about something you probably don't think about too much, your sense of smell. First, I'd like to thank all of our listeners, but especially all of our Patreon supporters. And I'd like to name those at the $10 a month and above level. So thank you to David, Sandy, and Robert. Thank you also to longtime supporter Michael W. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, you can find a link on our blog at rootsimple.com. As usual with the podcast, I have a bad habit of turning off the recorder too soon. After I recorded this interview with Kendra, who is a board member of the Institute for Art and Olfaction, she pulled out a box of scents in tiny vials and proceeded to blow my mind. Smelling all those vials was a reminder of just the sheer range of smells we might encounter and most likely ignore in the course of a day. Paying attention to our sense of smell opens up a whole new reality. We think a lot about things we see, hear, and taste, but don't give a lot of thought to the way we experience the world through our noses. Let's correct that through this conversation with Kendra Gaeta. Maybe we can start with, we're, well, we're going to talk about something that I think that we, when we're also in Chinatown where there's a lot of car alarms, right? Hopefully uh, not for long, though. Yeah, well, you know, it, it wouldn't be L.A. if there weren't, weren't the car alarm somewhere. Yeah, probably. But um, speaking of car alarms, I think we as Westerners probably think more about, like, sight and vision than we do about smell, mm-hmm. right? It's not something that we really think about so much. How did you've been interested in it though? You said before we began recording, since you were a child, uh, you want to say something about your childhood interest in in smell? Yeah, sure. I think just as just as a person living in in the world, I I was the one who was like wondering what the toys smelled like or the the rubber of the rubber end of of some toy or other or smelling the milk or the food or whatever. And I think as I got older, that became a little bit more like I was a person who could name the smells. I could walk into a room and say, it smells like burnt popcorn and tires in here. And it would be two things that maybe you had never smelled together, but people would look at me and say, yeah, yeah, actually, it really does smell like those two things. And then I would have loved to have stumbled upon perfume making, blending, the idea of being able to put scents together. And I say this not just as perfume that smells good, but the the idea literally to make scents and conceptually think about a scent you want to make and have access to the materials that you might use to make something similar. But I didn't you know, I didn't know what that meant. And I remember when I lived in New York at one point, my friend and I talking about how cool it would be, or who are these people that get to do this? And we were, you know, at at a loss. We're like, we, I don't know. It's just like some job that, you know, people fall into or get into. And it was completely shrouded in mystery. And then Fast forward to, I'm living in LA and a friend of mine, his uncle lives in New Jersey and works at a scent house. And so this is a place where they have industrial quantities of 
scent and flavor materials that then get shipped to formulators to make flavors and scents for commercial products. And he had this he smelled good one day and I told him he smelled good and he's like, oh, my uncle made this. And it was just his his uncle was tinkering in the lab and put something together that he thought smelled great. And I was like, I couldn't believe that that, that was a thing and that I, I, I was like, great, I've missed it. I've missed my entire chance. And I started looking up, you know, what is a scent house? What is a formulator? What is a whatever? Looking all those things up and then was looking is there anything like that in Los Angeles? Because by then I was living here and the Institute for Art and Olfaction came up and I couldn't believe my good fortune to live in a city that seemed to have so much going on sort of programmatically and also with talks and, you know, that was just inviting people in. And so the day that I looked it up, I was like, holy crap, they have open sessions that anybody can go to. And then I wanted to see when the next one was, and it was that day. And in fact, I, I had to leave my desk right then to go to Koreatown, where it was five years ago, six years ago, when I first started going. And I did my first blending class and was enamored and then became infatuated and then started collecting all my own materials and then started getting more involved with the institute and doing events and doing special projects with them and now I'm on the board and I'm really involved with them and I'm excited by all the rando scent stuff they have going on in this weird little world that I get to you know participate in. So People might think that it's just perfume, but it's a lot more than that, right? So what are the kinds of what are the kinds of things do you learn in the class and what are the kinds of projects that are going on there? And then what what does it be kind of big question, but what also are you specifically interested in? Right. Well, most of the the classes in the institute itself is set up around the idea of access. So this is about access to materials and this is about experimentation. So like I said, um, when I was looking it up maybe 15, 20 years ago, um, you know, probably what I was finding, but what I didn't know was that all the people who actually make sense for industrial products and more commercial products are either chemists by education and they have, you know, higher level degrees, or they are people who went to one of just a very few fancy perfume schools that are also kind of expensive that typically just teach very formal French perfumery. And so at the Institute for Art and Olfaction, there is a totally different sensibility. So at the Institute, it's like, Look, there there can be no art without access to materials, without this experimentation, without trial and error, and without sort of the freedom to sit with your materials and and think and make mistakes and try and try again. So the open sessions, you know, typically somebody would walk into the room, they sit down, they if they've never been before, they choose five materials off of the wall. There are hundreds of bottles, and some of them have really familiar names like orange blossom and you would know exactly what that smells like and other things isoe super you would have no idea what that is because it's a totally synthetic material so you're just standing there opening bottles and kind of giving them a quick whiff picking five sitting down the person learns the fundamentals of 
blending, which is how to blend and keep track of what you're doing so that you can make methodical changes as you go. Aside from the how to work with your formula and how to change it as you go, there are no rules. And um, there really aren't even any rules with the, um, you know, how to work with your formula sheets and sort of move through the progress of whatever it is that you're making. And because of that, and because there isn't this attachment to an idea of what a good scent or fragrance is meant to be, you find that some people are working on perfumes, which are meant to be worn. And some people are working on things where they're like, I don't know, man, this just smells like smoke. And it reminds me of a time when I was a kid and the smell of this floral material really makes me happy. And I don't think that I would ever wear this. Maybe I would put it in a room. You know, people are just kind of tinkering and working with something and it doesn't have to have a purpose, you know, but the still the education and the practice is there. And I feel like the practice is sort of what makes people better skilled at whatever it is that they're doing. So um, while I do like to blend and make perfumes, a lot of the people that are working in this olfactory space who I'm most enamored with are the ones who are applying scent in ways that you wouldn't expect. So there would be activists, there are scientists, there are educators, and um, also a lot of people working, as you would imagine, with VR that, you know, are trying to figure out, you know, if we're going to simulate a new world, that world sensorially needs to you know, at least somewhat mimic the real world, or it should at least employ all of our senses. And it's interesting because like what you said, you know, the, the sight and sound are the, you know, these primary senses that, you know, aesthetics primarily are concerned with, right? You know, it's really hard to, when you look at the formal study of aesthetics, it is, excuse me, like sight and sound. And so um, these like, quote unquote, lower ordered, senses or secondary senses are really interesting places for experimentation and overlap. Primarily, I think, because we don't have a language for them. It's not as developed. And so we have a hard time putting linear thoughts onto them. So in a lot of ways, it becomes more evocative. And so it's a more conceptual way to communicate than if I were to, you know, paint a painting or you know, write something down or, you know, like music, you know, we all know how we're supposed to feel when we hear it, but, you know, with different types of senses, it's, you know, it's less dictated. So what sorts of things have you done at the open sessions and what kinds of, what kinds of sense are you working on yourself? Well, oh, well, we did a project actually that I'm really proud of. It was probably like four years ago now. So there's a group of us that, kind of found each other at the Institute and we decided we were kind of like a punk rock perfume club. So we're the smelly vials because all of our, um, you know, you work with, um, you know, lots of little glass vials and pipettes and, you know, blending tubs and this and that. And so we're like, we're the smelly vials. Yeah. And, um, we did a project where we partnered with Gula, the ghost hunters of urban Los Angeles. And they, 
you know, the, the folks over at Gula picked 13 locations across LA that are haunted uniquely by scent. So these are hauntings of smell. You don't see the ghost or hear the ghost. You smell the ghost. And so they put together some research about what people smell and, you know, the conditions under which they smell them or who it is they think they're smelling. And we made kits that have a map of Los Angeles with each of these places highlighted a description of what the haunting is and then a vial of a blended perfume for each place so again these weren't things that were meant to be worn um, especially because you know the smell of gunpowder isn't something that everybody wants to smell like although it smells awesome the scent of a burning building you know we had to figure out how how will we make this Um, not necessarily something you want to smell like but it smells good so So that was a project that we worked on together that I thought was great. Personally, I, I mean, I'm, oh, I'm working on one right now that is trying to make the scent of a horse. And if you've ever known a horse person, if you ever get to talk to a horse person, ask them how much they love the smell of horses, because it really is fantastic. And, um, I like smelling like a horse. I like when my clothes smell like horses. I like the sweat. I like the leather. I like this kind of waxiness from their hooves and the, the funk that is under their hooves when you pick them out. And, um, all of that kind of, uh, blends together in a way that, that horse people find really nice. So I'm, I'm working on that. And, um, I really don't care at all if the perfume people like it, because they probably won't. My audience is 100% horse people. So um, I have a couple versions that I was working on, and I've gotten to a point now where I need to find... I'm on the hunt for materials. So I've exhausted the materials that I have in the, the organ at the Institute. And I've started talking to people who are far more experts than me and um asked them you know I brought them a vial of what I had and I was like what do you think where you know what do I need and what should I get and I mean both of those people were like whoo this is wow yeah I guess that's horsey and you know horse people are like oh okay yeah I get it like it makes sense to them it's not there yet but you know anyway that's what I'm working on so how do you go about blending the smell of a horse or the smell of a burning building? Or how do you, how do you build those scents? Well, I mean, it's first you would deconstruct it. So with the, um, with the scent of a horse, for me, I mean, the things that I could very quickly and easily name that are working would be the, the sweat, which would be kind of salty and um, hairy and a little bit... Um, you know, there, there's a certain type of barnyard funk in there mixed in. Also, the leather, they're the materials that, um, you know, that are sort of the accessories for being around horses. And um, and like I said, that, that waxiness of their feet, it, there's a certain kind of oiliness to their hair that I think is also part of that smell. And a lot of it is just kind of finding materials that are similar or similar enough. So, you know, there, there are, you know, there's 
leather as a scent that you can get. But then there's, um, there's a material called paracresol that is really intense and kind of smelly. And some people think that it smells like Play-Doh, but in my version of this, I, it's kind of functioning as that waxy, you know, when I kind of go for some of the funkier smells, we have animalics in perfumery, which are, you know, historically derived from animals, but now they're made synthetically. So um, trying to put a little bit of that funk in there and, you know, kind of, again, trial and error. So you start with, you know, I always kind of start with equal parts of everything. You dip in a scent strip and smell it. And there's, you know, there's always some culprit, right, where you smell it and you're like, ugh, too much of this. Like, what? no, 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 no. And then in, in your second trial, you just add less of that ingredient. You know, it really is as simple as that. And, um, you know, you kind of see how the materials work together and it can change based off of the chemistry of those materials and how they bond and how they kind of mellow out and work together over time. So it's a little bit of... Um, smelling it on the scent strip, waiting for it to dry down, and then giving it another smell after the the perfumer's alcohol has evaporated. And then you'll think you've gotten close to something and you'll make a small vial of it, take it home. And after 24 hours, when all the chemicals have had a chance to talk to each other, you'll open it up and you'll be like, what? This is not what I thought I was making. Or, you know, or the one chemical will come like way, way, way to the top. And so, frustratingly, you'll have something that might smell really good when you take a whiff of it out of the bottle, but then once you start wearing it, it behaves totally different. So then you have to figure out, like, all right, well, what do I do with this? Like, do I want it to smell good out of the bottle, or am I wanting something that smells good after it's dried down, or is there something that I can do that's going to lessen this effect? So complicated, and it sounds like you mix two things, you might get a third or fourth or something, some unusual reaction. So do you think that this is something people, is this a skill that people are born with, or is it something that you can learn? Oh, it's totally something you can learn. I mean, to be honest, like the, this, the skill in it and the, like the craft of it, right, is um, very simple. So it's a matter of, you know, if you can count drops from a pipette into a tub or, you know, use a scale and weigh materials, you can do this. And I think that um, different people have different, you know, abilities to smell things, but it doesn't mean that people who maybe have a weaker sense of smell aren't smelling things just as intensely. I just think they don't have the range of other people. And I think that range comes there. Part of it is just your biology, what's going on with your scent receptors, you know, inside your nose. And part of it I think is the exercise of smelling a lot of different things and taking the time to think, what does this smell like? It smells like grass. Does it smell like green grass or brown grass? It smells like brown grass. Does it smell like dry brown grass or wet brown grass? Like really taking the time to, to commit this to memory and revisit those materials often so that you can become more familiar with them so that when you're thinking of a smell that you want to put together, you know, your mental Rolodex is giving you the right answers of what bottles you should go and grab. 
another thing is, you know, going back to smelling lots of different things, it's about creating a context in your brain. So, you know, for most people, the context is limited to your own personal experience because they, you know, walk into a room and they smell mom's cooking and, you know, it's like, that that's it. You know, they go, Oh, that's my mom's cooking. And it doesn't go any further or they can smell a flower and say, that's a rose, but it doesn't go any further. But you know, the, the context of your experience versus the context that you can kind of create and commit to memory is, um, is something that you can do, but you know, probably I think the palette that you can remember is maybe limited from person to person. The types of sense that, you think might be interesting um, that you can then bring to life. I feel like that's where the the talent and the imagination and the mystery kind of comes into play. But I think as far as just being able to do it and achieve the satisfaction of it, there's not been a, I've, you know, I've done, you know, kind of hosted or run these open sessions on my own and there's not been a single person who hasn't walked in their first time. And look, like when you first come in, we tell you pick five things off the wall. They pick those five things and we say, just pick things that you like. And when you're working with materials that you like, you're going to end up with something that smells pleasant to you, which is really, really satisfying. And so um, it's an easy sell, especially at the beginning. It gets a little harder when you get bored of all the things you like and you want to make something that's you know, a little bit more challenging or if you have an idea. But um, We talked a little well, before we started recording. I, I know you grew up with the animals and horses and dogs and cats, and we talked a little bit about the difference between humans and, and animals and scent. You want to say something about that? Well, I mean, to a large degree, it's the you know the physiology that you're working with. I don't know. I've, I've, I have. I, it seems like every time I look it up, or you know, there's lots of different. Uh, ideas, but it's like dogs have way, 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 way more scent receptors than humans have. And each of those receptors kind of works in um, combination with others. So if you just imagine this huge switchboard, you know, if you have a switchboard of 10 switches and it's like, you know, the co- the combination of of on and off switches is is great, you know, but it's like dogs when you have like hundreds of these things like it it, it becomes so much more nuanced and um so their catalog of smells is is way broader and then not only that i mean scent is really their their dominant sense that they're working off of so they rely on it way more than than we ever would so you know it's like a constant development but people you know i think you know if if they really kind of honed it in, I don't know if they would actually be able to smell better or fainter smells, but they would certainly be able to kind of like guess what it is that they're smelling or smell, you know, put it together a little bit better. But um, people don't smell very well. And I think that's good because the world outside is not a great smelling place, you know. We, we talked a bit about conceptual art and perfume, and um, I wonder if there's other things that people are working on, too. So, uh, well, one thing I can think of right off the bat, of course, is our sense of taste is intimately connected with uh, smell, too. So how does that figure into either your work or work that other people are doing that you, you know of? Uh, I mean, there there's a lot that's, you know, in this area of overlap, and 
so Perfumer's Apprentice is a place that provides small quantity materials just to anybody who wants to order it. So um, they have on their website, it's divided into two halves. There's Perfumer's Apprentice and Flavor's Apprentice. And it's amazing when you scroll around the different things that you can buy. It's it's insane. Like you can you can and you can buy these things in liquid form that you can use and apply any way you want. I've bought a few of them, and um, you know because they are made to be used in things like cooking, they're sort of mindful of. Um, you know, like they won't have a whole lot of sugar in them because, so for instance, if you're adding it to a cookie, the cookie's already got sugar in it and sugar has a certain role to play in the the chemistry. So you'll think you're getting like, oh, I want to add this to this or I just want to smell this and you smell it or you give it a taste and you're like, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like the cocoa powder that you get out of the box. It doesn't taste sweet and you're a kid and you think you're going to be so excited. Um, I don't think that is all very much interesting actually but people who are working conceptually that are doing things outside of the world of um of fragrance is um you know it's one of my favorite touchstones of you know what I have access to and um so I was just at uh the institute does an experimental scent summit and I was just at it last month and the presentations were phenomenal there was a woman who is talking about um, depictions in depictions of space uh, in art and how historically these have been, you know, first informed by um, what we see in the sky and then imagining, and then there will be some great, you know, invention like the telescope, um, which then shows us what it really looks like, and then the art changes and kind of updates but then gets a few more imaginative embellishments. And so how, you know, how the progress of art kind of always includes this imaginative that then kind of gets updated as new technological advances are added um, or are discovered. And so some of the discoveries that she was talking about that, um, you know, sort of like, so what's, what's next? Like, so when it comes to smell, we know that, you know, comets smell of, burning melted metal. And we know this because we know what um, chemical properties are inside of them. And we know, you know, kind of what's traveling around with, um, you know, on these long tails, and we know what those smell like. Um, there's another area of space. I might not be getting all of the details right. But, um, you know, it's like you can't go out and, you know, give it a whiff. But we do know that it smells of raspberries because we interpret whatever those chemicals that are out there, our brain is like, mm, raspberries, that's awesome. And then, um, so just kind of knowing that and, and doing those exercises, I think is really cool. Or just knowing, you know, people kind of bringing this, this information that is given to us through science and technology, but then kind of applying it to like what we know as, you know, smell people. And, so she was saying that on the International Space Station, the first astronauts that were up there were the Russian cosmonauts, and they have a um, air filtration system, right? Because they have to recycle all of the air and oxygen and everything. And um, 
So they drink vodka up there, and they were sweating out the, um, the, you know, the sweat that they were going out was then getting picked up into the air, and it was being processed, and all of this was coming back out um, through the air filtration as formaldehyde. And so the, the space station smelled of formaldehyde, and they had to figure out how to fix it because that was not acceptable to anybody. And so, you know, sort of what does this advancement or what does this kind of new understanding, how does that shape the way we can um, look forward at things creatively or practically? And, um, you know, there's no, there's no single answer, but it's just information. And I find that information endlessly interesting. And um, there was a woman there who is a choreographer, and she was talking about doing a project with with dance. And, you know, the most obvious thing would be, so people are dancing and you're shooting out smells, and everybody's like, okay, cool. But um, in her, her spin on it was that the dancers all had these outfits with fringe on them, and the 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 dancers costumes were scented in a way so that they it the scent was actually working together so as the dancers were twirling around the the scents would blend as a result of their movement and i think that's amazing and way more interesting than than just you know like watch this dance and smell this smell and ta-da we're done you know so the sort of the kinetics of it all and the um how do you make it work? How do you make it work in an interesting way? The overlap of how you can, you know, have movement plus smell or, you know, science plus smell or all of these things I think is, is interesting. So a lot of the people listening to this are kind of do-it-yourself types, gardening types, um, and may not live here in L.A. Um, it can, is this something that you can do on your own at home? Um, and then also, um, it just occurred to me, too, like making incense. Is that something that, that you've ever done or know people that do? Yes. So um, if you are interested to mess around and do this on your own, you can do it with um, – just whatever essential oils that you want to pick up at a health food store or whatever. Um, we dilute things down to 10% for just to, to preserve our materials so you don't burn through them because it's it, it can get expensive very quickly. Uh, we use perfumers alcohol. You can also use vodka. You can use just like really cheap vodka. If you want to keep it in oil form, you can use whatever um, uh olive oil works you can use um coconut oil coconut oil has a has a fragrance or you know whatever type of carrier oil you want to use will work um coconut oil you can get like defractionated coconut oil that doesn't have a smell to it if you want these are all things that you can get through craft suppliers um if you go to the Institute for Art and Olfaction website, there's a resources page that lists all this kind of stuff. So anything from bottles to materials to vials to, you know, all of this you can find there. And there are suppliers who work in small quantities, and you can get, for not much money, a couple bucks, samples of of pretty exotic things and, you know, see if it's something that you would want to use. Other things that you can do, I think, you know, when it comes to the DIY stuff is just general infusion. So, you know, like they did in ancient Greece, 
they made their perfumes in olive oil and they would just take um, herbs and plants and mash it up and put it in the olive oil and the oil works to extract the the scent from the materials and then begins to take on the smell it's I mean if you've ever stuck a sprig of rosemary in your olive oil like Ta-da. And then um, there are other things you can do that are sort of more um, laborious and intensive, like enfleurage is a process people can do at home, but um, it's it's a bit of a pain in the ass, but, but you can do it. And then uh, you can do home distillation, but I, I mean... It, which is complicated and and also something to know is like not everything can be distilled like if you distill roses it doesn't smell like rose so you know there there are different ways of extracting scent from materials and um that's usually based off of um how well it performs as well as you know cost factors and how much juice you get for the um for the effort Incense, uh, I haven't made it, but there's a really cool um, class that they do at the Institute. And I've also looked it up before. And I have a friend who collects, you know, like those big wobs, gobs of sap that fall down from trees. And so he collects the, um, the sap that's fallen from certain trees and sends it to a friend of his who has an incense company. And he's got some magic that he does with it. But that's something that I've always thought would be really cool. And you can totally do stuff like that on your own. So you mentioned the website. Uh, if people are in L.A. and want to get involved with the Institute, how, how do they find out about it? And, and maybe are there some upcoming events that, that, that people can come to? Yeah. So the, it's the instituteforartandolfaction.com. And there is an events page that you can look at. Most of the things you can just come to, even if you've never, ever, ever done this before. Again, because the, the craft and the practice of it is, you know, really sort of, you know, with a five minute tutorial, somebody showing you how to, how to do it, you know, you're sort of at the, the being able to do it level. So there's not this huge barrier for entry. There are beginner classes that are, uh, a little bit slower that offer a lot more background. And, um, there are, you know, art shows and things like that, that are, um, at the Institute that you can kind of check out you know, just, you can get, follow their newsletter or whatever. As far as upcoming things, so the Institute does an annual awards every year that honors experimental and artisanal perfumers, as well as um, people that are working experimentally with scent. And for the last four years, it's been in other cities in Europe, but next year it's coming back to LA. And so we're trying to blow that out and, you know, really kind of add a lot more to it because, because we're home and, you know, we know that there, there are a lot of people here who, um, we can get to come. This is a good creative town. People kind of show up for things. So we want to put some special things together. So it's worth just getting on the, um, the newsletter list and browsing the calendar every once in a while, but definitely open sessions are the, probably the easiest go-to it's every Wednesday and it's just an evening thing. And, Usually after about two hours, your nose is, my nose is blown out and I, you know, can't really smell much after that. I kind of need a break. And so there's, it's, I think open sessions are for three hours. So you just kind of, you don't have to show up right on time and you can come and they'll show you how to do it. Cool. Was there anything, that was amazing, Kendra. Is there anything that you want to add that we didn't talk about? Bad smells, good smells? Um. (laughs) 
your favorite smell, your least favorite smell? No, I mean, even the bad smells are impressive, right? Like, it's just even like, it's like a funky cheese. People who like cheese, even when it's a sharp, big, crazy flavor, there's something to enjoy. And not everything on the wall in at the Institute smells good. So, you know, but sometimes you need that stuff. you got to funkify it a little. That's great. Thank you, Kendra. Thank you, Eric. This was great. Thanks so much for having me. That was Kendra Gaeta. You can find out more about the Institute for Art and Olfaction at artandolfaction.com. I'd also like to thank our Patreon supporters and mention two of our supporters that are also podcasters themselves. So thank you to Eric of Garden Fork and Michael Brooks of The Michael Brooks Show. You should all subscribe to The Garden Fork Podcast and The Michael Brooks Show. Our closing music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 